Hi, this is Nicole Hansoff, editor of HPC Wire. Here with today's edition of Soundbite, our daily interview series featuring researchers, thought leaders, and newsmakers in the world of high-performance computing. We'll be talking about virtual observatories for big data today with Argonne National Lab's Kate Keyes. We'll discuss the concept of a facility for online data analysis that can support ongoing experiments and other time-critical scientific projects. A facility equipped to deal with millions of sensors, many terabytes of data, and the computational resources required to tackle such problems. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So in the paper, and and we'll go ahead and link to this for our readers, you make a wonderful point about how sensor technologies have made the world a laboratory at large. If you could just lay the groundwork for us there and provide a sense of what you mean and how this changes the data analysis landscape. Well, so people used to do a lot of experimental science, right? We've got wonderful projects that in in nuclear physics and high energy physics, in fusion sciences that produce uh, data very often that data gets processed after the experiment. And um, there was a lot of research lately in using the technologies to speed up that processing, right? So if you find out a year about after your experiment, you know, what the answer is to the question you posed because the only research you have is a small institutional cluster, that's obviously a non-ideal situation. So people are trying to speed it up. but. You know, what's happening recently is that this is acquiring a new urgency because all those little sensors that those large instruments are built of have escaped from the lab and started multiplying at large. And uh, what that means is that we can build instruments, very large instruments, of those loose arrays of sensors that have been deployed in the environment. So people are, you know, able now to instrument oceans using sensors that they put on the um, ocean floor using floats, using various types of gliders, which not only do the sensing, but also you can steer them. So if you want to get more information, you can steer them uh, to a different area. Uh, People are using sensors to monitor um, the water level in a river, for example. There are all sorts of environmental sensors that people are using to uh, measure temperature and wind speed and direction and so forth. And so, really, by putting all those sensors in in the forests and and, uh, oceans and rivers and cities, we're turning the planet into an instrument at large. And an instrument like that has very different properties than a traditional type of instrument, because in a traditional type of instrument, it was built from the ground up to represent one consistent thing where everything was working in unison and everything was designed to fit into each other. Now, in an instrument at large, what we often do is we get a bunch of sensors that that are very different. Uh, they, you know, they may be sensors provided by citizen science, and the quality of data that is coming from those sensors is not very high. They may be sensors that were just simply deployed under different assumptions, and the data doesn't represent what you know I might think it represents. So. First of all, there's the problem of how do we um, get the data from various different sources and represent them in the same format and and make them more or less uniform so that we can correlate them. Secondly, a sensor, an instrument at large, has represents very varying levels of activity. So in other words, some sensors might come online, uh, some sensors might go offline because let's say the battery is getting low and the sensor starts sending data Uh, not as often, or for example, a camera might stop taking pictures because it got dark, 
or for a variety of reasons, right? Some some of them may go offline due to physical factors. So there is a, there's a constantly changing array of the sensors and data streams that they produce. Um, and furthermore, of course, the whole point of this instrument is that I can coordinate data from various sources. So I can correlate data uh, from environmental sources, from hyperspectral cameras, let's say, and, and correlate that with um, atmospheric data and correlate that with hydrology data and so forth. Right? That's something that was not possible before. That's very attractive, but that means that you know, everybody can create their own customized experiments that looks at, at completely different um, sets of sensors and completely different data rates that they produce, and you need infrastructure that is going to support all of this, right? So you need infrastructure, you need that, you need software that is going to now take the data from those sensors, not lose the data, so it's going to be infrastructure that is highly reliable, right, always on, not lose the data, but then it also needs to provide processing for the data. So the data needs to be filtered and, you know, the format needs to be changed and it needs to be correlated and analyzed. and it, Suddenly, you have uh, demand for infrastructure, software infrastructure that can deal with those very variable rates of, of analysis that are required. Because sometimes it's going to run for a long time, and sometimes you know there isn't much interest in the data. And sometimes people say, "Oh my gosh, you know this is very interesting. Let's add this type of processing and that type of processing to it, and and uh, let's see what happens." And, and so you and your team have talked about a data-centric virtual observatory architecture that's designed for scalability, fast response, efficient data stream processing, and this is all remotely located resources, right? So uh, cloud-based resources. Can you describe this? Right, true. So um, this is something that we started developing when um, I worked with the Ocean Observatory Initiative Project, which is you know, one of those instruments at large, I would say. So it's a project that is changing the nature of ocean sciences from you know, exploratory science where people go out to the ocean and gather artifacts and then reason about them to an observatory science where those sensors uh, are put into the ocean and you're observing them all the time. And the infrastructure now has to deal with those incoming data streams and it has to be able to accommodate ways at which people want to look at those data streams. So, for example, it has to be able to accommodate this, uh, this workflow that I described that people start some type of processing, then discard it, then say, well, this is not yielding the right results, so let's try, let's try a different operation on this data, let's maybe add another two operations and so forth. So we've got a, an infrastructure where you can register a stream, but then, very importantly, you can also register an operation. And, and this is really important because even in a fairly homogenous uh, instrument at large, such as Ocean Observatory Initiative, there will be scientists who work on something and need data streams that they might know about, they might know that they need them, but they might not know how to logistically obtain them, right? So if they need to run some operation or something like that, it should be very easy for them to apply the operation to the data. So when I say we can register an operation, that means we can package the operation in such a way that it's really executable with one click, right? I don't have to learn anything about that operation, how to adapt data, you know, which directory this program takes data from, or anything like that. Um, and in fact, it should be possible to have uh, something like a, like a data uh, object identifier for that specific algorithm, right? So that when I publish this algorithm, I write a paper about it, I can put that DOI in the paper and somebody can click on it and say, well, let's see 
what this new method does to my data, right? What, how I can, uh, how I can do it. And so this this uh, operation registration we achieve by creating appliances. In other words, sets of virtual machines that that run with different cloud providers, like putting the um, the environment for the operation in an appliance guarantees that it can be executed ubiquitously on cloud infrastructure. And so cloud famously provides this uh, this control over environment to, to the user. And then we also have a process register where we describe how to execute that operation. And then when the operation needs to be eventually executed because somebody created a stream that applies this operation to a data stream, um, the, the process dispatcher can go to the repository, get the information that it needs to execute it, and can say, aha, well, I don't have a resource in the system on which to execute it, right, because this operation requires a specific appliance. It can go to the registry, uh, and it can use the, uh, the resource management to deploy that appliance. So all that process has been very nicely automated. And then also, the interesting thing is that using an, an auto-scaling approach that, that we implemented in that, um, and in this infrastructure, it can say, oh, there's a lot of demand for um, a certain type of resource. Let's spin up more resource, more computational resource, or let's add elastically storage resources. And if the need goes away, then the resources can go away as well. Right. And we'll be certain to share the architecture of the virtual observatory concept with our readers. Kate, I know that you have to go today, so we're going to have a short podcast. But thank you so much for sharing this concept. And again, we look forward to talking to you in the future. Yeah. Thanks very much for asking me. It's been fun. Absolutely. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow.